chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. We're going to read a pile of verses together. I'm reading from the, the ESV. It'll be on the screen behind me. It said, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said, I forgot to bring up my water. So can you throw that? Thank you so much, because I'm already feeling. You know what? No, my hand-eye coordination is really not fantastic. It's why I preach, and I don't. There are these preachers that are like, I would be playing professional this or professional that, but for the call of God, not me. It's either this or be homeless. Uh, all right, where was I? I spilled water on my shirt. Uh, okay, here we go. Heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life was taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And the Phil, then Philip opened his mouth, the beginning with the scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the spirit carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. And with God's help, I want to preach to you for a few moments on this subject. He takes away my shame. He takes away my shame. Let's pray. Jesus, you're here. Lord, you want to work on our hearts. I pray, God, that we would be open to what you want to do. That our minds would be open, Lord, to the work that you want to do inside of us. Not just to have... A great spiritual experience at an altar, but God, so that we can live Monday different. I pray that you would be with us today and that you'd help us. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Ready to say amen? amen? All right, you may be seated. So a few weeks ago, I found myself staring at a bookshelf trying to figure out what book to bring to junior camp. I was going there. My, my son was, uh, was going to be his first year. And so I was going to go and I was going to read books. And normally this is an agonizing process for me because I have too many books and I want to read them all, but I can't. And uh, because I'm a cool person um, that obviously is super sociable and has really neat hobbies besides just reading books in his basement by himself. And so uh, I, I was trying to, it's an agonizing process. But this particular time I felt led by God to grab a book off my shelf that I had purchased but had never read I'm sure nobody here has those problems at all, uh, especially us leaders and pastors in the room, where we notice a book, we buy it, but then it sits on our shelf for a little bit. It was called Flawed Families of the Bible, and it goes through stories of, of kind of brokenness and people's lives and kind of shows you background information to help you just aid in your study. It's kind of a reference book. I grabbed it on a whim. I had a new book I wanted to read. 
I, uh, people were telling me I should read Jordan Peterson, and, and I had never re read a Jordan Peterson book before, and so I got 12 Rules for Life, and it's like 9,000 pages, and so our, I was like, let's, let's give this a try, uh, and I'll bring this other book as backup. And then I found myself face down on the floor in our cabin on a Wednesday, praying and crying over the text that we just read, this whole story that we just read together. I was completely captivated by little more than a dozen verses and a story of a man known as the Ethiopian eunuch. And that's all we really know about his name. We don't know his name. He's unnamed. He's known and identified only by the outcome of a single violent event that had happened in his life. See, a eunuch is a castrated man. In ancient times, slaves were made eunuchs as punishment for disobedience, to teach them their place, or simply to make them safe in the king's household so that there'd be no threat that, you know, the queen would fall in love with one of the servants and then, you know, try to take over the kingdom and put the king off of his throne. There'd be no threat. The insecurity of the ancient rulers made them paranoid and they would take out their paranoia. They would take out their insecurity on their slaves. And castration was violent. And it's going to be really kind of plain, okay? A child or a teen would basically, a young man, would have his private parts cut off or mutilated. It was violent. It was brutal. It had a very high death rate. And it was psychologically scarring. It's awkward to talk about it. I mean, it feels awkward in the room right now. It's not just because I'm awkward. It feels extra awkward. Like, no one got up this morning... Wolf down Fruit Loops, a.k.a. Continental Breakfast, and was like, man, I wonder if we're going to talk about the eunuchs today at the youth retreat. <laughs> no one was driving into the parking lot. It was like, you want to know what we never talk about enough at church? The eunuchs. It's awkward to talk about. We, our modern culture, we avert our eyes to broken things. We avert our gaze to these types of topics. We whisper about them in private but we never speak of them in public. But in the blunt and brutal world of the Bible, they called him by what they thought he was, a eunuch. And there was no sympathy for men like him in his day. None at all. Here's what Lucian of Samosota was a stand-up, basically a stand-up comedian in the Roman Empire. Here's what he said. He said that eunuchs are freaks and with high-pitched voices. They're neither man nor woman. And he would make this joke that if you saw a eunuch in the morning, that was bad luck. So you best go back into your house. You shut the door. Make another cup of coffee. Because if you saw one on your way to work, that meant something really bad was going to happen to you. Josephus, the Jewish historian, didn't make a cruel joke. He simply angrily called them monstrosities. Philo of Alexandria, a politician, a philosopher, an educator, said that they were worthless 
persons, worthless men like this guy in the chariot was a worthless person. Eunuchs were mocked. They were ostracized. They were called effeminate. They would say, you're not a real man. You're not a real guy. Look, at we don't know. What are you? They were given great power in the culture, but never respect. Because of who they would serve, they would amass for themselves great wealth. They would become millionaires upon millionaires in the equivalent economy of today's culture, but they would have no close friends. That meant they had all the stuff. They had all the things. They could buy whatever they wanted, but they were so alone. They were outsiders to a normal world. They're outsiders to a normal culture. And a eunuch, no matter how successful he became, no matter how much power he amassed, he was the CFO of Queen Candace's financial empire. But it did not matter how high he climbed on the ladder in the broader culture. He was known by his brokenness. He was identified by a single traumatic event that had become simultaneously both the definer of his life and his future identity. And in the 18 or so years that I have been involved in pastoral ministry, I have met a whole bunch of young people like this man. Not that they had suffered the same trauma. Thankfully, we don't practice that in modern culture. But they had suffered a trauma that serves as the defining event of their entire lives. And there are people in this room right now that if we crawled inside your head, there we would hear the voices that say you're an outsider to the church. You're an outsider to normal life. Polite society may not have labeled you and they may have even demonstrated compassion towards you but inside you are filled with shame shame over what you've done or shame over what has been done to you you feel like something something in your life has been damaged and it may not be as obvious as a body part but perhaps it's your innocence we're going to make it even more awkward. Perhaps it's your trust. And now you live saying, I'll never trust anybody ever again. Maybe it's hope that's been gouged out of you. And you don't feel a lot of hope for the future. And in its place is a whole lot of pain. And in its place is a sense of being an outsider. An outsider in a world of normal relationships, normal self. Other people get to be confident, but not me. Other people get to be happy, but not me. Other people have, get to have you know, hope about the future, but not me. Other people get to be used tremendously by God, but not me. An outsider to normal self-worth. An outsider to normal self-esteem. And that's where this man found himself in his chariot coming home from Jerusalem. That's what the scripture says. It says he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. And buried in that line is a whole lot of pain. Because according to the Old Testament law, no eunuch could come into the presence of God in worship. When they, they said in the Old Testament law that, that people that were not perfect 
could not come into the presence of God and worship. But he went into the temple knowing, he went to the temple rather, traveling all the way from Ethiopia knowing he could never go inside. It's the equivalent of making a journey all the way to church just to stand in the parking lot and strain to hear sounds of singing, strain to hear sounds of worship, strain to hear sounds of celebration going on the inside. It's, it's like he would go and he would stand in the parking lot and as worshipers would exit, he would run up to them and be like, what's it like in there? Is it nice? What's it look like on the inside of that church? How was the music? Was the speaking good? What songs did they sing? Did, they take, did you take any videos with your phone? Oh, can I see them? I, I want to know what it's like to be in the presence of God like that. He went knowing he was an outsider and never allowed inside. He just wanted to be close. Just be close to God in any way that he could. And on his way home, reading the scroll of Isaiah, something that would have cost him a tremendous amount of money. Bibles are cheap now. But this was a handwritten scroll of Isaiah. One of the largest, if not the largest book in the Old Testament. It would have cost him the equivalent of thousands of dollars to get just the scroll of Isaiah he bought it so he could read about a God he can never see inside a church he can never go to. He's reading it out loud. And the apostle Philip runs up to him. He says, do you understand what you're reading? Do you know what you're reading? And he says, how can I unless someone teaches him? And Judah and, and Philip jumps into the chariot and this was the passage in Isaiah 53 it said like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent he opens not his mouth in his humiliation justice was denied him who can describe his generation for his life has been taken away from the earth and then verse 34 one of the saddest verses that I've ever read in the book of Acts and the eunuch said to Philip about whom I I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about somebody else? As he read, as Philip read to him the story of that lamb that had been led to the slaughter, the eunuch breaks into the reading and he says, who is this about? And it could have easily been. We could have substituted eunuch and we put, could have put in a whole bunch of other titles. We could have put in a whole bunch of other things. It could have easily been in the text. It could have easily been instead of the eunuch. It could have easily been the abused child said. The bullied teen said. The young adult still trying to prove the elementary school bullies wrong said. The person still looking for their parents' love and affection. The insecure pure adult still trying to prove the haters wrong the rape victim said who is this about because on the pages of the scroll the man saw someone that looked just like him so he said who is this pathetic helpless lamb who is this humiliated creature who has been denied 
justice. Who is this person that has had their life and their future robbed from them? Because it sounds just like me. The eunuch, as he read this, was grappling to understand, not because he did not know what the words meant, but because as he read the story of the helpless lamb, there was something inside of his heart that says, that sounds just like me. And that's when Philip said, this is Jesus, the helpless lamb, staring back at you on the text. The one who seems to be just like you is nobody else other than the Messiah. Says Philip opened up his mouth and told him, beginning with this scripture, told him the story, the good news about Jesus. He said, I'll let you know. I'll tell you who this is that seems to be just like you, that seems to be helpless and broken just like you, that seems to be humiliated just like you. It is no one other than Jesus. See, the good news of Jesus is that Jesus died on the cross for our sin. How is that good news, Adam? That sounds like a really bad thing. See, Jesus, when he died, he he suffered humiliation on our cross so that he could bear our shame. See, so many people think that Jesus just died for their guilt. They think that Jesus died for the things that they did that were bad. And the things that were bad. But they're not aware that the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't just deal with the guilt over the laws that you have broken. It's here to deal with the shame that you feel like you have to live under. Jesus did not come only for your guilt. He comes for the moments that you remember what you have done. The times that you gave way to temptation and the memories of what you did or how far you fell or how messed up you got overwhelm you and you feel like an outsider because of the weaknesses that you have in your life. You feel like an outsider because of the temptations that you faced in your life. In your life, he's come for what you've done and he's come for the shame over what's been done to you. Where you were made a victim of somebody else's anger. Where you were made a victim of somebody else's insecurity. Where you were made a victim of somebody else's lust or their brokenness. The shame over the family you come from. The shame over the heritage that you have. The shame over the neighborhood that you have. All of the things that you have suffered. Jesus died to identify with your humiliation. The cross was meant to shame. The cross was not just meant to kill. The cross was meant to bring shame. It was you would be beaten. You would be stripped naked. And then you would hang publicly on a cross. While people would mock you and make fun of you. And they would say evil things about you. So that the final moments of your life would be plunged with embarrassment and shame. And that is what 
what Jesus went through for you. But here is where the good news kicked in. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, conquering death, hell, guilt, and shame. And what was meant to be Jesus' shame became his glory. What was meant to be Jesus' humiliation became the thing that he used to triumph over the devil and gain victory for the whole world. Jesus triumphed over death, hell, and the grave through the one thing that was meant to bring him down and bring him shame. And he flipped shame all on its head. And what was meant to be his undoing, what was was meant to be his destruction was the very thing that would be used to purchase your deliverance and to bring you hope and salvation. And through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus can rewrite your story and he can turn your shame into victory. See, I, I've come... To help broaden your understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of you are here that's like, yeah, Jesus paid for the bad things that I did so that I'm no longer guilty, but I'm now innocent. I'm here to say yes, but Jesus does more than make you innocent instead of guilty. Jesus raises you from shame to honor. There are people that feel worthless. Maybe even in this room. I don't know. There are people that are broken. There are people that are embarrassed over the things that they have done. Over what has been done to them. Over the suffering that they've had. There are people here that do not like themselves and feel worthless. There are people in this room that because of the harsh words that somebody said to you in the third or the fourth grade. You feel like an outsider and less than but Jesus can raise you not just from the guilt of sin but from the shame that you feel and the suffering that you have experienced and he can fill you with boldness and confidence and hope and purpose how is it possible no doubt the man asked Philip the very same question I don't know this for sure but Philip, it says, began with Isaiah 53. And they had the whole scroll of Isaiah with them. But I wonder, I just wonder if he made his way to Isaiah 56. Where Isaiah 56 says, don't let the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be part of his people. Don't let the eunuch say, I am a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says, I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy. And you choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. And I will give them within the walls of my house. The place they could not belong. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons or daughters could give. For the name that I will give them is an everlasting name. That will, Jesus said, what I'm going to do, I am going to take you and I'm going to give you a new name and a new future. And it, whatever you think you've lost, 
shame. I, what I'm going to give you will not just replace, but it will be greater than all of the things you felt were robbed or ripped out of you. How will you be raised from your shame, sir? He says it's not through the power of positive thinking. It's not through writing positive notes on your mirror that you just repeat to yourself all the time. It's not through following good quotes on Instagram that you repeat, repeat, repeat in your head on the bus because you're afraid over what people will say to you when you get to school. No, 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 no. It's not anything like that. He says an everlasting name will be added to your life. And that's what will take you from shame to honor. Ephesians 2, 6 through 7 says, For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his kindness, of his grace and kindness towards us. As shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Those who have been united with Jesus Christ are presently seated in heavenly places. Right now you're seated in a heavenly place. How am I united with Christ? When you were baptized in the name of Jesus Romans 6 verse 4 says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. When you are baptized in the name of Jesus, your life was buried along not just with the guilt of your sin, not just the things that you had done, but your sin and your shame. Baptism apostolics is more than going public. It's more than a symbol of an outward, you know, outward evidence of an inward change. What you are doing is you are adding an everlasting name to your life and when that name gets added to your life shame gets cut off you shame gets removed from you and God gives you a future and a hope greater than what you could ever get on your own no wonder the Ethiopian eunuch cried out see here is water what prevents me from being baptized he said, baptize me now. I want this. I want this. Baptize me now. I want this off of my life now. Can I say, I don't know everyone's story here, but if you have never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you have got to get, you got to make that happen as soon as you can. Do not delay. Do not negotiate. You can't stay the same. If this is what it takes, he he said stop this chariot he was so convinced that Jesus was the only hope he didn't wait till a time was more convenient he didn't wait till he had towels and a change of clothes he did not negotiate if it was important or essential he said baptize me now shame is also removed through the experience of the Holy Spirit Joel 2 27 28 says Ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and I am the Lord your God, and my people shall never be ashamed. And if you've grown up in church, you can quote this next verse. And it shall come to pass afterward 
that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Peter quoted this on the day of Pentecost as fulfilled through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He quoted 228 but included in that promise is 227 that God said when I put my spirit on you my people won't ever have to live in shame ever again my people won't ever have to live with a victim mentality ever again no wonder the man went on his way rejoicing he started out shamed musicians come I'm going to be done in a moment he started out shamed and ostracized an outsider he started he lived as an outsider in the world he everywhere he went he felt like what had been done to him made him different than other people but with one experience with Philip the scripture says he went on his way rejoicing he started out with no family and he came out of the water part of the family of God he started out without a heritage but he's now part of the heritage of Christ he started out a slave he started out as somebody that did whatever others people told him to do but he left that day by son of God with purpose and anointing where God promised him that whatever the world took from you I will not just replace but I'm going to I feel to tell a young person in the Holy Ghost right now that whatever has been taken from you Jesus cannot just heal you but whatever Jesus heals you of he's going to give you something better he's going to give you something greater <laughs> praise God Jesus will turn your shame into victory. And the very thing that the devil meant to be your destruction will become the thing that is your victory too. Like the cross was meant to shame Jesus, but it became the avenue through which he would save the whole world. When Jesus gets a hold of you and you let him that area of your heart that you've not let him in yet and you let him begin to work and renew and restore do you know that there are people in my family that were victims instead of being ruled you can listen to my wife's testimony on my podcast it's called growth is pain and you'll hear the story of a woman that suffered abuse but now takes that story and shares it with other women and becomes a place of healing and victory for them. You know, I got this chipped tooth here because when I was in the eighth grade, a bully took my head and smashed it into a steel door because he thought I was a loser and he thought it was worthless. And that's how I felt about myself. But when Jesus got a hold of me and Jesus began to work in my heart and I became convinced that Jesus was not just here for the bad things that made me feel guilty. He was here for the shame that I felt about myself. Now this chipped tooth that I have is not a sign of someone who has been bullied but it is a sign of someone that has been pulled out of a really bad headspace and is now full of boldness and is now full of confidence and is now full of anointing hear me you've got wounds in your life that when 
Jesus heals you, they will become scars of testimony that you can, some of you can't even imagine telling your story to anybody. But I want to let you know that if you let Jesus work in you, Jesus can heal you. And you can go back to your high school and you can show your scars and say, this was meant for my destruction. But Jesus came into my life. And if you let him come into yours too, you too can be healed. I'm here to tell you that the things that you have suffered and the shame you feel over what you have done, if you will give that to Jesus, Jesus will turn your shame into victory. And you will see, no, God didn't cause this pain. This pain was the result of sin. No, God didn't bring this evil. This was because of brokenness and evil in the world. But God can take the evil that was done to me and what was done for my destruction will become a means for somebody else's salvation and somebody else's hope and somebody else's healing. That eunuch was now able to go back to the court and he was now able to go and talk to every broken man that was in the kingdom along with him and say that what has happened to you does not happen to define you because there is a hope and there is a new identity in Jesus Christ stand all over this room I know we're tired and I know that I've, I've come all up in your grill and I've talked about bad things that have happened to maybe some people here in this room and I know the temptation of the enemy is that when you feel shame the first thing you want to do is hide because shame likes to live in the dark it likes to live in isolation because the greatest fear of shame is exposure because then the whole world will know the whole world will see and they'll have to relive it it'll be made to feel like a loser again I'll be made to feel like an awful person again. I want to let you know that is a lie. That is a lie from the enemy of your soul that does not want you to be free. Because here's what I have learned from Jesus. That any time you show Jesus what is broken inside your life. Jesus takes that as an opportunity to heal it. Jesus takes it as an opportunity to bring wholeness and restoration. I'm not saying you got to tell your neighbor. I'm not saying you got to tell me. I'm not saying you got to tell anybody else about the things that have made you feel shamed and like an outsider in the world and an outsider in the church. But I am telling you that in the next few moments, I want you to tell it to Jesus. Jesus because if you do healing is going to sweep over this room and the testimony of healing is not going to be a wheelchair on the altar but it's going to be 10 years from now when you're still serving God it's going to be five years from now and your emotions are not ruled by the opinions of other people it's going to be seven years from now and you're graduated high school and you're living out your purpose it's going to be a decade or, or 15 years from now and you won't just be working a job just grinding it out, barely saved barely going to 
the church, but you'll be on the mission field preaching the gospel and declaring the kingdom of God. It'll be six weeks from now, and you won't just be a young person barely hanging on to your salvation, but you'll be launching a campus ministry, or you'll be launching a P7 Bible club, and you'll be walking in purpose. So tell it to Jesus. Jesus knows how you feel because Jesus was made to feel shame in his death so that he could identify you're not serving a God that is not touched with the feelings of your infirmities but he is here right now and I know there's no hype right now on this moment We'll run tonight. Tonight's not this this afternoon though is it's not for us to jump. It's not for us to scream. It's not for us to holler. It's us for us to bring our heart and our brokenness to Jesus. And say, Lord, can you do something with this? Jesus, can you do something about this? I don't want to live like this anymore I wonder right now if this altar could be made open and could be filled you'd be like Adam this message has nothing to do with me I'm good that's okay you come and you fill space so that others I'm dialing their number right now I'm talking about where they're living they feel like this altar can be a safe place for them to find healing and hope because the healer is here and Jesus is here and he's here to lift you from shame and bring you to a place of power and honor and victory these altars are open right now people need to be coming right now as you get ready to sing I want you to come and just lift your heart up to Jesus lift your hands up to Jesus and say God here I am Lord Jesus here I am God here Lord no more hiding No more trying to look good. No more trying to convince other people that there's not brokenness in my heart. But Jesus, right here, right now, Lord, I give you my heart. As soon as they begin to sing. 